Hi there, and welcome to Edit Your Darlings, a podcast that tries to take the sting out of editing by talking with darling authors about their experiences. I'm Ariel Anderson, and this week I'm joined by Suri Gurudev Singh, the author of the YA urban fantasy Infernal Guard series, Exiled to Freedom, Dracula Retold, and In the Heart of Babylon. She lives in New Mexico and Punjab, and when she's not writing, she could usually be found obsessing over the South Korean boy band BTS and making absolutely astonishing fan art. Thank you so much for making time to talk with me, Sri Gurudev. Thank you, Ariel, for having me. So you said you've only worked with one editor. How did you find your editor and what made them the right fit for you? Well, I think a lot of it was just luck because I was struggling with the whole queering thing for like almost a year and just getting rejected. And my brother-in-law's daughter was visiting and she's from Seattle and she knew my editor, Beth Giacino. She's awesome. Yeah, Beth was on with us uh, episode two. I know her in real life because we're both in the Northwest Editors Guild and she is fantastic. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and so does she do your developmental editing and your copy editing? Yeah. I think she doesn't really do his proofreading because she said you want fresh eyes on Absolutely. Like she does the line edit and everything, but then I kind of add in more mistakes as I do the line edit. (laughs) (laughs) How did you find your proofreader then? So my proofreaders are just a group of friends, as many people as I can get. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the first mistake I made with my first book was I didn't have enough proofreaders because I thought, oh, it can just be two people. (laughs) And then we kept finding typos for like a whole year over and over and like having to fix it. Like you published it and then. Yes. (laughs) And then it was a mess. So we just kept fixing it. And whoever bought the earlier copies has a really messed up copy and. Hopefully now they have a passable copy where there's just a few typos, like pretty much every book. So it is what it is. You live and learn, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that it's impossible to ever get all of the typos. You're never going to get all of them, right? I guess if you had a huge team of people at some giant place, you would catch them. But yeah. There's, there's still always going to be. I saw, oh, oh, I saw a really good webcomic lately that was somebody had just published their book, and then all of these little like flies are coming in, and they ask their editor what that's about, and she says that those are the typos that only appear after you hit publish. <laughs> yeah, I actually love them when I see them in bestsellers because I'm like, yes, I'm not the only one with typos. Everybody has them. There's this human instinct to look down on people who have typos in their books, but everyone, absolutely everyone has them. Yeah. And sometimes like, I remember one book, I read the third book and I guess they rushed it. So the whole like last 50 pages was just riddled with typos. Oh no. It's probably if you got a later version, it would be fine. Yeah, and I guess some strategies to kind of catch those towards the end of the book is to read the book backwards (laughs) from, yeah, backwards from the end. Uh, That sounds so tedious. (laughs) I know, right? 
Well, even when I'm proofreading, I'll often find myself reading because the story is good. Yeah, and then you start missing them. Right. So how do you stop reading when you're proofreading? Yeah, I guess some people are just really good at it. (laughs) On your website, you have some... I love your website, by the way. I have gone through every page and read your, like, list of question and answers. (laughs) And you have some really great advice for writers on there when you say... When people give you harsh feedback, don't give up. Take the input seriously. It's actually more helpful and productive than nice feedback. Can you give a couple of examples of the harsh feedback and the nice feedback you've received and how it's influenced your writing? So when I said that, I was actually talking about beta readers, people Mm. who are helping you when the book is still in the process Like if I send my book to a beta reader and they just say they love it, that's not helping me. I want them to tell me everything they hate, every little thing that they're confused by or they don't like or any little thing. That's what I love. And so I kind of meant that because once your book's published, you kind of moved on to the next project. People either are going to hate it or love it or not even care one way or the other. These reviews that are mean, to me it's like, If you went to a restaurant and the food was too spicy and you hate spicy food, and then you just say, one star, I hate this restaurant, instead of saying, if you love spicy food, you'll love this restaurant. Like, it should be more about what the book is than what you think it should be, so that other people who might like what that is will like it. And then as far as if something's actually, you know, an issue, maybe they should tell you personally and you could fix something but usually it's just like people say oh I hate YA and I didn't realize this was YA so I hated this book like that's not really going to be productive feedback yeah so yeah I guess that that uh advice was kind of misleading because I meant like the harsher the better when they're helping me work on it Mm. I don't like people to be nice when it's a work in progress. Once it's finished, it's finished. I don't know. You've kind of, you're moved on to the next, the next book. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about the other one anymore. So you can't even remember that harsh feedback now. Like it, it didn't imprint itself onto your skin. The harsh feedback is usually I'm confused. Um, you need to str- lengthen this scene. You go too fast. That's what I usually get is you're going too fast. I write too short and I need to make things longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's two camps there. I'm I'm with you on that side. I'm definitely on the concise writers camp. And then there's the writers who are constantly told this is taking too long. You're you're dragging this out and they have to cut. Yeah, like I'm so paranoid about boring the reader. Mm that I tend to go too fast. And then people are like, okay, I wasn't bored, but I was confused. And I'm like, okay, tell me exactly where you started being confused. And then we work on the scene again. um, That's what I like. And it's specific to to the scene and then it really helps. Mm -hmm. So you've never had a critique partner or a beta or an editor that was too harsh? Where they just said they hate the book, just everything about it. 
or like they threw so much mud on the book trying to to uh, give it a spa treatment i had one with dracula retold where they just felt like why are you writing this book it's like plagiarism mm. and i'm like it's in public domain and i'm trying to rewrite dracula so more people read it and appreciate and go back and read the classic mm-hmm. and they were like well i'm not interested that i think that was the only time that happened and i was like okay fair enough like if you're not interested in that kind of thing where it's a retelling of it's basically an exact retelling but you're just modernizing it mm-hmm. um then you're just not going to be interested so yeah and it also didn't feel as personal because that wasn't my book anyway like none of the ideas were mine it's it's all taken from the original so mm-hmm. you don't feel as hurt anyway so Yeah, let's get into that a little bit. Do you feel like there are bits of your stories that are so personal they can't be critiqued? No, no. I love harsh feedback, but it has to be specific. Like, it can't just be, I hate this book. That's not helpful. Well, I'll I'll argue sometimes with my editor if she wants me to cut a whole scene. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about why, and I'll, I'll be attached to the scene. And so she'll say, okay, if you're really attached to the scene, how can we make it work better? What are you trying to say in a better way? And then we'll work on it. So I do get attached in that way, I guess. Like going off on a tangent. Like on my third book, I wanted to tell a story, a history story. And she was just like, why is this here? It's not part of the actual story. You're off on a tangent telling a different story. And I felt like it was important to the character. And so I really wanted to keep it. And she was like, okay, then, you know, we have to tweak it here and tweak it there. And so we did that. Um, Yeah, it doesn't really hurt my feelings. It's more like a discussion. Like, okay, why is it not working? How can we make it work? And then you change it. Yeah, I like that. I guess you can't be too precious with stuff, right? You have to because it's for the reader, it's not for you. So if it's boring or if it's not working, then you have to fix it. You can't just leave it like that. When you and Beth argue, who wins? Um, I would say I make her compromise. <laughs> not the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> She's like, oh, all right, if you really insist on this, then this is how it'll work better than how you have it. And I say, okay, then we'll do that. I love that. (laughs) But it's only happened, like I say, it's only happened a couple times. Yeah. Well, actually, with Dracula, too, she said, you need to make it even more concise. Like, stop trying to make it too close to the original. Mm -hmm. Because the original is very long-winded. And she's like, cut all this out, too. Like, don't be too attached to the original. So, but that was fine. As long as it's not boring. That's number one thing I always worry about. Let's talk about your Infernal Guard series. So you have Emergence, Descent, Severance, and Forsaken. And I wondered, has the editing approach changed over the course of those four books? Or, like, is there anything that you would have done differently now that you're four books in and looking back? Uh, Not really. I mean, we pretty much, like, found what works and just kept doing that. Like I say, you, like, want a bigger team of proofreaders (laughs) but yeah it's pretty much like the second draft goes to the plot betas 
then it goes to developmental edit you have a meeting then the copy edit and then proofreaders and it kind of just stayed like that for all of them yeah Mm -hmm. so you have a style sheet for the series right did that evolve over the course of it okay you have to explain what a style sheet is to me (laughs) Ooh, maybe I made an assumption. So the style sheet is, um, it's a document that holds all of the editorial decisions. You know, sometimes we allow commas here, or uh, we always capitalize these sorts of terms. And then it also has a word list and the list of characters. Oh, I see what you're saying. So like, yeah, like in my story, the the monsters' names are capitalized. Like if it's a vampire, vampires capitalized. Ooh. That's what you mean? Yeah, that's an interesting choice. And like the realms are capitalized. I don't know if you would say sheet because I'm like tech impaired. So I just do all that kind of stuff on paper. But yeah, it kind of stayed the same. Like, So your vampires, vampire is capitalized. Why? Because it's like, if the creature, because there's a lot of also new creatures. So it's not just creatures you've heard of like vampire werewolf, but there's all these other terms. And it got, it seemed like it was less confusing if it was capitalized somehow. And uh, we also had like a glossary in the back to explain everything too. Yeah, it just somehow looked clearer, I guess, is what it boils down to. I'm fascinated by all all those little decisions. And I ask authors all the time, you know, I noticed that you capitalized this creature's species name, but you didn't capitalize, say, human. We tried to keep it consistent. So I think human is capitalized if someone's calling human, calling someone human like it's a derogatory term or something. <laughs> it might have been capitalized, but I can't remember. <laughs> Treating human as a derogatory term. That's so interesting to me. To the monsters it is. They're just these weak things. Yeah. Yeah. I started reading In the Heart of Babylon, and I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know that it was horror. I didn't know how it compared to any of your other works. So I was immediately surprised by the darkness that it showcases just straight out of the gate. And maybe I shouldn't have been because, like, the artwork has skulls <laughs> at the top of each chapter. <laughs> uh, but it did make me wonder if your editor knew in advance some of the dark topics that you planned to cover. And did they or your critique partners or a, a, maybe a sensitivity reader provide any feedback on those horror elements that either added balance or asked for more scariness Um, Or maybe some changes to make it fit into that YA category. Well, first of all, thanks for calling it horror. Because I've always wanted to write a horror story. And I felt like I failed. Like it's not a bit scary. And it's just like... So that's a compliment. But yeah, Beth, she didn't know. And I mean, she had read my other books. So she knew like how dark I go anyway. But... The sensitivity readers, it was interesting because if anyone was white, they would have a problem with it. Like, oh, I just remember now somebody freaked out that it was too racist towards white people. And um, that person hated it. But it was interesting because 
all of my black sensitivity readers were like, yeah, this is totally realistic. This could be going on right now. Like they didn't see any problem with it. We talked about whether or not the N-word should be in there. And I decided that since I'm white, it shouldn't be in there. So we hinted at it a couple times, like you do like an N and then a dash, like the person gets like hit right as they were about to say that word. So it's mm -hmm. implied, but it's not actually there. And you kind of know that the characters all say it all the time when it's not on stage or whatever you call it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as far as the YA category goes, it's really confusing because it's such a wide range. Yeah, for sure. Just like, let's just go off the idea that YA is any book where the main characters are under 18 and just leave it at that. And then I put a warning on Amazon, like it should say ninth grade and up. So people kind of know mm -hmm. it's not for like, like it has bad language. All of my books have bad language. So if that really bothers people, I want them to know ahead of time, like, don't buy this for your 10 year old. If you, you know, don't want them to be reading that, like, I don't want to be responsible for that. So I try to make it clear. But yeah, the YA category is a bit all over the place. Yeah, I think it's, it's unusual to find such dark YA. Oh, really? Yeah, though, I mean, you know, The Hate You Give is YA and deals with some very dark, heavy topics, right? It's not unheard of, for sure. Racism. But you could also make the argument that Harry Potter deals with the idea of heavy topics of racism and prejudice and people who kill people. I mean, there's no bad language in it, but well, but there is. She just made up her own bad language. <laughs> right. Or you'll, or you'll say someone was cursing or screamed or something. It's interesting also, I've noticed that in a lot of the contemporary YA, there's bad language, right? But there's not mm -hmm. like gory stuff. And then in, in the more fantasy or dystopian YA like take the Hunger Games for example there's all kinds of horrible stuff going on but there's no bad language so it's sort of like huh <laughs> okay yeah it's like some authors will choose they can choose violence sex or cursing choose one of those three right I guess that's one thing I've never seen in YA is um like explicit sex scenes it's usually like a fade out or a fade to black exactly so i guess that's one thing you could say across the board isn't mm -hmm. really but i haven't read that much contemporary ya so yeah like is finding alaska ya i mean that gets pretty explicit yeah finding alaska is definitely ya i'm uh, i think maybe everything everything had not just a fade to black. And that's why. So yeah, I just haven't read enough contemporary. I guess if you're doing contemporary and there's curse words, but no crazy violence, you can also do more explicit sex scenes. <laughs> like, what's the rule? Right. But then I also think about what was I reading in high school? I was definitely reading like the Sookie Stackhouse novels, which has violence and racism and sex. Yeah. I mean, I started reading Stephen King when I was eight. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we need to not realize kids' intelligence. They know that this is a book 
and it's fiction and yeah. So let's move on to the questions that I ask every author I talk to. So first, what do you really hate about the editing process? What's uncomfortable for you? The main thing I don't like is just reading the same manuscript over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Once I feel like I'm doing something something productive, like I have the line edit to do, I, I feel like I'm doing something. And then you have a sense of accomplishment when that's finished, right? But then you kind of feel uncomfortable about the typos you've left. So, yeah, at some point by the end of it, you just go, I'm calling this done because we've done all we can at this point. If I have to look at this one more time, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then I think you've already answered this one, but maybe you have a different response what's the most common bit of feedback you receive on your writing yeah to expand expand scenes expand 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 and a lot of times it's the romantic scenes they're like give us more here yeah. and I'm like ah okay and then you send it back how about this they're like no we still need more okay I'll keep trying yes definitely I'm a YA fan and I gotta tell you I'm 100% in it for the yearning Yes, the feels. You got to have the feels. Yes. <laughs> so I got to have those feels for sure. Yeah, where my mom is like, no, it's plenty. And I'm like, no, they want more. Ooh, your mom is one of your betas? She was a huge fan, but she's really scared of vampires. So by the time I got to Dracula Retold, she was done. So she helped with like the first four books. <laughs> <laughs> she just read my read my latest book and said you didn't tell me there was vampires in it I was awake all night with nightmares <laughs> and then do you have any last words of advice I know it sounds cliche but I always say like life is too short like just enjoy it. do what you enjoy right make time mm -hmm. every day for what you enjoy you enjoy writing, make that a part of your life every day. Don't worry about all the other technical side of it. And you'll get to that when you get to that. Just do it. Yeah. Do you draft longhand? Is that what I'm picking up on? Oh, uh, no, I outline longhand. Uh -huh. I do okay. a chapter outline. So I guess it gets pretty detailed, but I just write on, on my keyboard. I write longhand. Wow, the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. so I did, I did the outline longhand, and uh, any time that I got stuck, I would, like, tell the story to my dog, and that would help get me unstuck, and I'd keep going. And then uh, it came time to sit down and write, and I'm just – I stare at that blinking cursor, and I hate it. And oh. it's so much easier for me to just get into the flow if I have – my cute notebook and a good pen, preferably purple. I love the cute notebook and the pen, but I use it just for the chapter outline. So, so once you have it totally finished, you just copy it down. So once I have about a chapter, I'll take that chapter and put it into a Word document. Oh, okay. So you do chapter by chapter as you go. Yeah, just about. And as I'm putting it into the Word document, I'm also doing my first revision on it. So you don't outline before you 
you don't outline the whole thing and you just start writing from chapter one and see. Oh, no, I definitely outlined. And then I take a chunk of because I also don't write linearly. So I take a chunk of the outline and I write it on a note card and I keep that note card in my notebook with me. I have to write linearly because I'll realize, wait a minute, that doesn't work. Like as I'm going, like this has to flow with what happened before. I think if I didn't write linearly, I would just end up having to delete what I worked on. But I've never tried that. That's interesting. (laughs) That's so interesting. And you read to your dog. Yeah. Well, I don't read to my dog. I I work out story plot points with my dog. Right. I'm stuck. And so I'm just I'm just telling him the story. And in doing so, I'm I'm fixing it. Okay. I did notice that when I'm talking out loud, like with my daughter, I'll get ideas. She'll get so bored. She'll be like, you're not even listening to my feedback. I'm like, hold on. I got an idea. I have to write that down right now. It's so shiny. When you get stuck in a, like, it's like a puzzle. I've put this character in the hardest possible position I can think of. (laughs) And now they have to get out somehow on their own. Or like some world building thing where you realize, okay, but that doesn't make sense. Because if this is the rule, then it has to go with that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, a little aside there. That was fun. So the last portion of my program is a hot and wholesome gossip corner. Are there any other writers or creators doing something you're excited about? Any shout outs you want to give or people you want to lift up? I want to shout out Candice Robinson. She is amazing because she just, I don't know what she does. She's a machine. She comes out with a new book. It seems like every other week. And uh, she started her Fairies of Oz. She just came out with her So Tin. Now she's out with her second one. And then I want to give a shout out to Latresa Payne. She's the same way. She helped me a lot with In the Heart of Babylon. She was so generous. And she just came out with Snatched. Sometimes devils call themselves mom. She writes like... Uh, contemporary thriller and and then there's uh, Stuart James he writes like horror thriller super nice he came out with books like apartment six check him out there is also Sergio Gomez his latest is a horror novella called the visitor but he also wrote camp slaughter and then there's um, also Beth Wardsdell, and she is also super nice. And she has Earth's Angels trilogy. She just helps authors so much. If you ever need any, you know, tech support kind of stuff, she she teaches classes and it's all free and she's super generous. And yeah, there's so many awesome indie authors. It's really fun. I think it's really fun to be a writer in this day and age where you don't have the gatekeeper thing happening. Yeah, you can just follow your dream, even if only one person buys your book and loves it. At least, you know, you've shared with someone. Yeah, I'm constantly 
just sort of in awe of the indie community. And I use that word very intentionally because I think that indie authors have connected with each other and lifted each other up so much and given freely of their time and resources to help more authors. Absolutely. If you want to check out Suri Gurudev's work, head to her website, sgdsing.com, or follow her on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Thank you again for talking with me, Suri Gurudev. Thank you, Ariel. It's been fun. If you loved this episode of Edit Your Darlings, why not share it with a friend? Remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast fix. For show notes, go to edityourdarlings.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at @editpodcast or I'm at @arielcopyedits. Until next week, cheers. Mm-hmm.